1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
2: Breaking news, the U.S. launches retaliatory strikes on 85 targets in Iraq and Syria, responding to the deadly attack that killed American forces in Jordan. And it comes on the very same day the bodies of three soldiers were brought home.
3: They risked it all. And we'll never forget the sacrifice and the service to our country. I want her life to represent freedom, commitment and pride.
4: She lost her life
3: for the country, I regard her as a hero.
2: The CBS Evening News starts now. Good evening and thank you for being with us on this busy Friday night. And we do want to begin with that breaking news. The United States beginning a series of retaliatory airstrikes on sites. The White House said tonight that they have clear, irrefutable evidence is connected to the deadly drone attack that killed three soldiers in Jordan. The president's national security spokesperson, John Kirby, saying tonight the strikes were successful, but that a damage assessment will be done when the sun rises in the region. And this is just the beginning. The president saying the response response will continue. Here is what we know. 3 of the locations hit are in Iraq, 4 are in Syria, and there were dozens of individual targets within each site. The strike lasted over 30 minutes involving multiple aircraft. Those planes are now out of harm's way. And it comes on the same day President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden were at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware for the dignified transfer of the remains of those fallen service members. We just returned from the Middle East, where we were the first journalists to embed with the U.S. Navy and saw the work being done firsthand to deter Iranian-backed groups from attacking American assets in the region. Tonight, we have team coverage from the Pentagon to the Middle East, and we want to begin with CBS's Nancy Cordes, who is at the White House. Good evening, Nancy. And we are hearing from the commander in chief tonight, right?
5: That's right. The president just issued a statement, Nora, saying that all the facilities the U.S. struck this afternoon had been used to attack U.S. forces. And he added this. If you harm an American, we will respond. Pentagon officials say two B-1 bombers were among the military aircraft used to strike more than 85 targets in Iraq and Syria. The targets included command and control centers, weapons depots and drone storage facilities, all of them linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard and affiliated militia groups. The strikes were approved by the president and launched just a few hours after he welcomed the bodies of three fallen service members back to U.S. soil. All three were stationed in Jordan at a U.S. outpost known as Tower 22 that came under fire last Sunday. The base's air defense system had been temporarily taken offline to allow a U.S. drone to return from a mission safely. An Iranian-made drone struck sleeping quarters at the base, wounding 40 and killing Army Reserve soldiers Will Rivers, Brianna Moffat and Kennedy Sanders.
6: We know that you can definitely feel our pain.
5: President Biden called their anguished families this week.
3: Look, I know. I really do know. <laughs> I got one of those phone calls out of the room and me my wife and daughter were dead.
5: U.S. officials blamed the attack on the Islamic resistance in Iraq, an umbrella group of Iran-backed militias. I don't
3: think the, uh, the adversaries are of a one-and-done mindset. Uh, and so... Uh, They have a lot of capability. I have a lot more.
5: Wary of setting off a wider war, the U.S. has avoided striking Iran directly, despite at least 165 attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria since the Israel-Hamas conflict began last October. Iran's president warned today, we will not start a war, but if a cruel force wants to bully us, the Islamic Republic of Iran will give a strong response. A short time ago, U.S. officials said that today's strikes were in the works for days, but that they waited until the weather presented the best opportunity. They said the B-1 bombers involved took off from the United States, and they signaled, Nora, that there could be more strikes in the coming days.
2: Nancy Cordes at the White House with that new reporting. Thank you. Want to bring in now CBS's David Martin. He is at the Pentagon. Good evening, David. So just about that, the president essentially telegraphed that some of these strikes would be coming. Did that impact their effectiveness?
3: Well, the military was perplexed by the degree to which the administration telegraphed these strikes because it gave the militia leaders and Iranian operatives in Iraq and Syria time to either get out of the country or go to ground by surrounding themselves with women and children. But if the militias intend to resume their strikes against American troops, sooner or later, they have to come out of hiding. and. If tonight's strikes were successful, when they come out of hiding, they won't have much to work with.
2: And, David, we heard from John Kirby saying this began tonight, but it won't end tonight. What do we know about what happens next?
3: Well, uh, Defense Secretary Austin said the president has directed additional actions against both the militias and the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Officials here say there will be at least one more day of strikes in Iraq and Syria, and there will also be another round of joint U.S. and British strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen.
2: That's an important point, David. There are multiple targets in different places happening. Thank you. And on that note, tonight there are heightened fears of a widening war in the Middle East. CBS Deborah Pata traveled to the Israel Lebanon border this week. And Deborah is with us now. And so, Deborah, is there a risk of response from Hezbollah?
6: Now, Nora, it's unlikely that Iran will choose to respond directly against the U.S., but one possibility would be through its proxy armed group, Hezbollah which, as you say, is based in Lebanon, right on that Israeli border. The Israeli military has been trading fire with Hezbollah fighters since the Hamas attack on October 7th, and increasingly there has been a lot of saber-rattling. Israeli troops are on the ready in the north, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has threatened to turn Beirut into Gaza, while Hezbollah's leader, Hassan Nasrallah, has warned that if Israel wages war against them, it will be very costly. Hezbollah has an arsenal of over 150,000 missiles, which, according to Israeli analysts, are five times larger and far more accurate than what Hamas uses in Gaza. Nora.
2: Deborah Pata, thank you. For more context and reporting, let's bring in CBS's Margaret Brennan, our chief foreign affairs correspondent. So, Margaret, the president has made clear he doesn't want a wider conflict But this is difficult. I mean, they are trying to thread the needle on this. They really are,
7: Nora. And this is going to be measured in terms of deterrence, success, can be judged by whether these Iranian-backed militias continue to strike at the U.S., as they have more than 165 times just since the month of October, with last weekend being the deadliest. Now, the president's also trying to decide whether to keep that U.S. military presence in the region, 3,400 troops between Iraq and Syria. Is it essential or are they at risk? Uh, Three officials in the past week have said to me that they assess that Iran has lost control of some of these militias. That makes it harder. But of course, they're very close with the militia. Deborah Pada mentioned there, Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, so Israel's ongoing war has the entire Middle East on a knife's edge. And President Biden's just trying to keep out of either Israel pulling the U.S.
2: into a war or going head to head with Iran. Some Republican lawmakers have said these strikes are pinpricks. Why hasn't there been an effort to take out uh, the IRGC, these Iranian groups that have been embedded, whether in Yemen or Iraq or Syria, command and control?
7: Well, that is one of the criticisms, of course, uh, from not just some Republicans, but some former military officials who have come out and pressed President Biden to be more forceful here. Uh, one of the things that they're trying to assess is just what tips that balance, what draws in the United States. If you can only Focus on equipment and radar and targeting to make them less effective in attacking. Is that enough, or do you actually need to go out and take out leaders, as President Trump did back in 2020? But that decision to kill Qasem Soleimani, that general, has also left a leadership vacuum in some ways. So. Everything has a consequence.
2: Yeah, really interesting. Margaret Brennan, always good to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now to tonight's other big stories. A jury is set to begin deliberating the landmark case of the first parent of a school shooter to face criminal charges for their child's actions. Jennifer Crumbley is charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter after her teenage son killed four students at his Michigan high school in November of 2021. CBS's Lilia Luciano was in the courtroom as prosecutors wrapped up their case.
4: On November the 30th of 2021 at 12.51 p.m., you could have been with him. I could have, yes. And you didn't?
1: No.
8: During cross-examination today, prosecutors tried to tear apart Jennifer Crumley's self-described portrayal as an involved parent.
4: Your son told his only friend that he had asked you for help.
9: No, I don't deny that.
4: Okay. And you also don't deny that he told his only friend that you laughed at him.
8: I do not deny that. Instead, prosecutors painted her as a woman more concerned with an extramarital affair and hobbies like
9: horses.
4: In fact, you told a co-worker that half of your salary basically goes to the horses.
8: I might have, yes. While ignoring her son's cries for help, like a drawing of a gun, chilling messages, and a bleeding body shown to her by school staff just hours before the shooting. I honestly thought the the guy
2: on there was a... Poor drawing of that man, the way the thing in the cat. I thought it was a cape. I didn't know.
8: It was Crumley's negligence, prosecutors argued, that led to the shooting committed by her then 15 year old son, Ethan. The parents gifted him the murder weapon just four days before the shooting. The shooter learned how to shoot and was given the murder weapon by his parents. The defense repeatedly argued that being an imperfect parent does not make her guilty. Can every
5: parent really be responsible for everything their children do, especially
8: when it's not foreseeable? And this clearly was not foreseeable to Mrs. Crumbly. What does the jury need to decide now?
4: Whether or not, based on all the evidence, that it was reasonably foreseeable for Mrs. Crumley to think that her son would do this violence. And it's got to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt.
8: Closing arguments wrapped today, and jurors will be back here on Monday to begin deliberations. Now, if convicted on all four counts, Crumley faces a maximum of 60 years in prison. Noorah.
2: Lilia Luciano, thank you. Turning now to the weather with California already dealing with flooded roads and standing water, a second more dangerous atmospheric river is bearing down on the state. For the forecast, let's bring in meteorologist Chris Warren from our partners at the Weather Channel. Good evening, Chris.
4: Good evening, Nora. Another strong storm moving into the West Coast, going to bring a lot of rain if Los Angeles ends up getting six inches of rain. In addition to what happened over the past couple of days, this will end up being the wettest week, wettest seven-day period in almost 15 years, in part because of this, a strong atmospheric river moisture pointed right into Southern California and Central California, bringing this tropical moisture up into the mountains, forced up, getting even more rain, possibly up to a foot of rain in some areas. That means there is a high risk for some life-threatening and damaging flooding, not just a possibility, but it's likely, Nora, on Sunday into Monday, there will be flash flooding.
2: Important warning, Chris Warren. Thank you. The district attorney overseeing the election interference case against former President Donald Trump in Georgia admitted today to having a personal relationship with the lead prosecutor in the case. In a court filing, Fulton County D.A. Fannie Willis says her relationship with special prosecutor Nathan Wade has no bearing on the case. Trump and several co-defendants say Willis should be removed from the case, calling the relationship a conflict of interest. Tonight, investigators are trying to figure out what caused a small plane to crash into several mobile homes Thursday night in Clearwater, Florida. Officials say the pilot and two people on the ground were killed just three miles from the nearest airport. CBS's Christian Benavides is on the scene.
4: Huge explosion. The house shook. Neighbors described the moment after a small plane crashed into mobile homes in Clearwater, Florida as terrifying.
1: I was screaming, uh, call 911, call 911.
0: We had a report of an airplane crash that was above head. The trailer at this location is now on fire. Within seven
4: minutes, firefighters were on scene battling the blaze. Officials say four homes caught on fire and most of the plane was inside one of them. They were able to throw a significant amount of water and foam on the, all the structures, which extinguished the fire very, very quickly. Flight reports showed the Beechcraft 35 Bonanza left from Vero Beach Regional Airport at 6:08 p.m. and route to Clearwater Air Park. But less than an hour after takeoff, the pilot reported engine failure. Another pilot described the scene to air traffic control. I go over the section. They went down hard. Their plane. Shortly before crashing, the pilot was heard saying, mayday, 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 according to the fire chief. The impact of what we saw and the high-impact component of it trends to the fact that there's nobody going to be able to survive that. Neighbor Dave Wisnick lives in this tight-knit community and heard the explosion. We're still shaking up. Still shaking. It's, it's going to be hard to get over Tonight, the NTSB is on scene investigating. They're expected to remove the wreckage tomorrow. Meantime, we're learning this all could have been so much worse. Officials say as many as nine people were inside the home where the plane crashed, and all except two of them had left the home just minutes prior to the incident.
2: That North- is remarkable. Christian Benavides. thank you. The U.S. economy is showing signs of strength with a January hiring boom. The Labor Department says 353,000 jobs were added last month, and that's much better than expected. The largest growth was in a professional and business services, healthcare, and retail. The unemployment rate remains unchanged at 3.7 percent. Tesla is recalling millions of cars in the U.S. We've got the details next. Now, an important consumer alert for Tesla owners. The electric vehicle maker is recalling more than two million cars, nearly all sold in the U.S. And that's because the fonts on some of the dashboard warning lights are smaller than required by federal safety standards. Tesla says it's already started releasing a software update to fix the problem. The actor who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies has died. We'll remember Carl Weathers next.
0: If you can't watch the CBS Evening News, you can listen, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We learned today the sad news that actor Carl Weathers died at his home in Los Angeles. Weathers was best known for playing Apollo Creed in the first four Rocky movies. He also co-starred with Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator and recently earned an Emmy nomination for his role in the Star Wars series The Mandalorian. Weathers, a former NFL linebacker, also showed off his comedic chops in the films, including Happy Gilmore. Adam Sandler called him a true great man, great dad, great actor, great athlete. Carl Weathers was 76. On the Road is next with a man who can fix just about anything, including a broken heart.
7: What
4: makes a life a good one?
2: Finally tonight, CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road with a man who found that the best toolbox, the best tool in the toolbox, is our heart.
9: After his retirement, and especially after his wife died, 76-year-old Danny Chauvin of Waveland, Mississippi, says he had way too much time on his hands. If you're alone with just your thoughts, does your mind wander places? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That you don't want to go? Yep. Yep. That's when stuff comes back to you. Danny served in the Army in Vietnam. He's been treated for depression and PTSD. But to keep his sanity, he knew he also had to keep busy. But how? And that's when Danny realized one of the things he missed most about his wife was all the little handyman jobs he used to do for her. So a few months ago, he posted a note on Facebook. If there's any honeydew jobs that you can't handle, I'm willing to help. And it spread, spread like wildfire.
5: Thanks for coming help
0: me out.
9: So now yeah. every day. No problem. Sometimes four times a day, Danny fixes the hole in his heart <laughs> by fixing just about everything else.
0: He's
5: working on fixing a closet door. And then he hung my porch swing. He put in a shower and
2: he did my screen door.
9: <laughs> and the best part? What does he charge for all this? The price zero.
2: Nothing. George does nothing. He showed much kindness to people.
9: We can fix that up. Most of the people Danny helps are women. Most single or widowed. They call him the honeydew dude and say he's just about the only guy they know willing to help with these small jobs. And obviously, no one's going to match his price point. In fact, when the work is done, only thing he takes is a picture, a reminder that he is not alone in his struggle right now i got a lot of friends a lot of friends is the ptsd any better now that you've started doing this yeah oh yeah that's what i was looking for cross finding happiness off the honey do list voila steve hartman on the road in waveland mississippi no problem
2: cheers to the honey do list well that's tonight's cbs evening news i'm nora o'donnell good night